1: Senior moment, choosing that hymn, Fruit of the Spirit is Joy. Many review nine ingredients to the one fruits. First three ingredients, love, joy, peace, they deal with our relationship with God. Love towards God, why? Because he loves you so much. Why do you love your parents? Because you understand how much they love you. You understand, your parents love you so much that if they had to lay down their life for you, they would. When Jonathan was so sick 14 years ago with his cancer, I said to him, and Connie said to him, in a moment we would exchange places with you, Jonathan. And if God had allowed that, uh, either one of us would have felt great joy. Love for God, because we know how much he loved us, sending his son to die for our salvation. Love for God. The second one is joy. That's our relationship with God. Joy. If you love God that much, you have joy because you understand that every circumstance of your life is held in his hands. I've read that if there is a great storm in the ocean, the waves are 30, 40 feet high. If you go 10 feet down into the ocean, it is calm and as placid as a pond on a summer's day in some meadow. The storm on the surface of the ocean doesn't affect what happens ten feet down. It remains forever calm. That's the joy that I'm speaking about. Happiness is, this has come and I'm happy. This has come and I'm happy. A wedding and I'm happy. A reception in a barn and I'm happy. But joy is something that stays inside of you. Because you know know no matter what is going on, a blessing or a storm... That God holds that in the palm of his hands, brings you joy. And peace, that is the third. Love, joy, peace. Why does peace come? If you love God and if you have a joy deep inside of you that nothing can touch, then you have peace. Love plus joy equals peace. You know that God is in charge of everything. He says in Matthew 11:28, bring to me your stuff. Leave your stuff with me, walk away from it, and I will give you my peace. The next three, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, deal with our relationships with others. Patience with them, I need not say anymore. Kindness towards other that's a singular act. Your neighbor has surgery, his grass is long, you go and mow his grass. A singular act of kindness. But goodness runs far deeper. Goodness is a basic part of your nature. And the goodness that is part of your nature will equate to more and more acts of kindness that come forth from you. You look at an individual and you say, that is a good person. Not because of a singular act of kindness, but because you know them. And these are frequent parts of that person's activity. Love, joy, peace, relationship with God... Patience, kindness, goodness, relationships with others. The last three are your relationship with yourself. Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You're faithful. You're faithful to who you are, the person you look at in the mirror. You don't want to be deceitful. You don't want to be a hypocrite. You want to be a faithful to that person you look at in the mirror. You want to be faithful to your family name. My mom and dad, my grandma and my grandpa, and the list goes on and on. You want to be faithful to your family name. But above all else, you want to be faithful to him. You want to be faithful to God. Gentleness, I'm leaving Evergreen yesterday. I went to see Jean Breitenbach there. And as I'm leaving on Friday, excuse me, as I'm leaving on Friday... I hear one lady say to another lady in the lobby, stop beating yourself up so much about your dad. And I kind of smiled to myself because I wanted to say something about that in my sermon. Be gentle with yourself. There is no one on this earth who is harder on you than you. If only I'd had this, if only I'd done this, if only, if only, if only, if only. Be gentle with yourself. And then the last one, self-control. Self-control, the words that come out of your mouth, the deeds that are done by you. Self-control with those addictions that any of us have. Self-control. One fruit, nine ingredients. And the one I want to speak about today is the second one, Joy. My text is an unusual one for the topic. Hebrews 12, verse 1 and 2 It says, since we're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses, since we're surrounded by so many people that our life affects, if we have children, they're number one. If we have friends and peers and next door neighbors and commuter trains and people who work with us, since we're surrounded by so many people who are affected by the way we live our life, Since we're surrounded by so many witnesses, run with perseverance the race set before you. Fixing your eyes on what? Fixing your eyes on the bank account? No. Fixing your eyes on the accomplishments you've made on this earth? No. Fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author of our salvation. He's the one that dreamed up the cross and the finisher of our salvation. He's the one who died on the cross. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your salvation, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Now sits at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy set before him, he endures the cross. He endures it. He endures it, people. He's faced down in the Garden of Gethsemane the day before. He dies on that cross. There's... Dirt on the ground, but all of a sudden the dirt turns into mud. Why? Not because it rained, but because he's sweating drops of blood. And the dust clings to him mixed with the blood that's on him. Why is he sweating drops of blood? Because he doesn't want to do the cross. Why? Physical pain. 39 stripes on his back laid raw. Crown of thorns shoved down on his head, his face beaten up and recognizable. In the Old Testament, it says they plucked out his beard. It doesn't say that in the New Testament. Physically, he doesn't want to climb that cross. Why else? Spiritually, he knows that when he hangs on the cross, if God accepts his payment, he will scream out these words, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And in the moment anyone has on this earth where they feel forsaken by God, it was a hundred times more severe for Jesus on that cross. He said, Father, if there's some other way, let this happen some other way. Then he says, not my will, thine be done. Climbs the cross, why? For the joy set before him. The joy was twofold. Number one, his death on that cross would accomplish The eternal salvation for mankind. If I said to Jonathan and meant it with all my heart, Jonathan, in a heartbeat, I would change places with you. I would have the brain cancer and you wouldn't. I would do it in a heartbeat. If I would say that to my son, what do you have in Jesus? You have someone dying for those that the Bible describes were enemies of God. While we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. The joy said before him, my death will win everlasting life for everyone ever born on this earth who comes to the faith in me. My death will not save one life. My death will save the lives of all mankind who come to me in faith. What joy is that? What joy is that? If God were to say to you, if you die today, everyone on this earth will be saved, I think you would do that in a heartbeat. I mean, we're talking 7.5 billion. Jesus died for the joy set before him, salvation of mankind. There was a second reason the joy was there, and he endured the cross. He knew his ticket to go home. He wanted to go home, and he knew when he died on that cross and was raised again, he'd get to go home. He had been in heaven forever with the Father and the Spirit. Philippians 2, 5, he comes down on this earth, takes on him the form of a servant. But after 33 years on this earth, he wants to go back home. And if your home is not Florida, if your home is not Arizona, if your home is not someplace, if your home is heaven, can you imagine his joy? I get to go home. That home heaven seated where at the right hand of the throne of my father. That's the joy that was set before him. My eight-year-old grandson, Lucas, dear Lucas, he has a favorite phrase. It's been his favorite phrase ever since he could speak. I don't care what he's doing, If he's doing something, if he's moving something, if he's lifting something, if he's doing his chores, if he's stuck on some homework problem, no matter how big the thing is or how heavy the thing is or how long he spent on that assignment, if you ask him, can I help you? With 100% certainty, he will say, no, I got it. No, I got it. I got it. Don't need your help, Papa. I got it. I always smile when he says it. Sometimes I smile with a little grimace because I want to say to him, Lucas, it is all right if your grandpa helps you with. It. No, I got it. Bring me joy when he says it. I got it under control, Papa. I know what I'm doing, Papa. I got it. Guess what Hebrews 12, 2 is? It's Jesus saying, I got it. Don't need your help. Peter said, let me help you. Let me throw some money your way. And then God says to Simon Peter, I want you to write down this. 1 Peter 1, 18. You're not redeemed by things that rot away, such as silver and gold, You are redeemed by the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without spot or blemish. Peter said, let me pay you some money. And Jesus said, I got it. Apostle Paul said, let me do some good works. God says, I want you to write this down. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. grace are you saved through faith, that faith not of yourself is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Paul said, I want to help you. And Jesus said, no, I got it. And I want you to write it down in the Bible so everyone understands it's not money and it's not works. I got it. But listen carefully. Jesus says, you can help me after I have saved you. But I'll be the saver. You can help me after I have saved you, but I will be the saver. You and I, the way we are, Lucas, the way he is. God, you handle 50%. Let me pitch in, man. You do 50%. I'll do 50% for my salvation. He said, no, I got it. Uh, Let me bargain with you. You do 75% on that cross. Let me do 25% so I can feel good about myself. No, I got it. And finally, you say, give me a little bit of break here. You do 99%, let me do 1%. Jesus said, I got it. You can help me after I've saved you, but I'll be the saver. Jim Morrison is here this morning. I halfway thought he wouldn't be. I thought he'd be with a comfort dog out in the Carolinas where the hurricane hits. But God wants him here this morning, Jim. I'll save you and then you can help me. And we better take it seriously because that last parable, those on his right hand side, he said, come into the kingdom. You saw someone hungry for food. You saw someone hungry for companionship because they're so lonely. You saw someone hungry for God and you fed them. You saw someone thirsty for water. You saw someone thirsty because they're so lonely. You saw someone thirsty because they didn't have God, and you gave them something to drink. And naked and sick and in prison, and you came to them. Right after Ephesians 2.8 and 9, by grace are you saved, Ephesians 2.10, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for the purpose of doing good works. We are created for the purpose of doing good works. On Christmas Day, we will sing Joy to the World, okay? We'll bring that back in its normal place. And on Christmas Eve, we're going to read a scripture that we have read for the 39 years I've been here. Excuse me, 39 years I've been in the ministry, 31 here. The verse we're going to read is Titus 2.13, and it says this. Jesus came into the world for two reasons. Number one, to redeem us from our sins. I'll do the saving. And then it says, he came to set aside a special people eager to do good works. I always do it on Christmas Eve because I want us to understand why he came. To redeem us from our sins, to set aside a people eager to do good works. Abraham, I got it. Moses, I got it. Martin Luther, I got it. And once Luther understood that, his life was turned forever. Charles Wesley, I got it. Apostle Paul, I got it. Paul Strand, I got it. Everlasting life. and abundant life on this earth. Abundant life on this earth. Whether you live 27 years like John, whether you live 8 years, whether you live 53, whether you live 78, whether you live 104, like Edna Beckstein. Abundant life while you're on this earth. Because when the Spirit does his transformative operation, then those nine ingredients will be possible in your life. If it brings me joy when Lucas says, I got it, how should it make us feel when the Holy Spirit helps us understand what Jesus means when he says, I've got it. Almost done. Connie's got a magnet on the refrigerator. I see it at breakfast time, I see it at lunch time, I see it at supper time, and I see it at midnight snack time. I see it early in the morning, I see it in the middle of the day, I see it at the end of the day, I see it in the middle of the night. The magnet says this, Good morning, this is God. I'll be handling all your problems today. I will not need your help, so have a nice day. I love you. That statement was in the school for an entire year. Every time I walked down the hallway, I saw it, and then when I looked at the refrigerator, I saw it again. Good morning, this is God. I'll be handling all your problems today. I will not need your help. So have a nice day. I love you. Why do parents shed tears when their kid goes off to kindergarten or to first grade? Why? Because they can't go with them. They can't go with them. And you're just so protective of your child or grandchild. Guess who can go with you, even if you're 104 years of age? Guess who was always with you? Guess who was always with you? At Mike and Laura's wedding yesterday, Psalm 139, God has us hemmed in. He's behind us, all of our past, in his hands. He's before us, all of our future, in his hands. Your parents can go with you when you go to kindergarten. They shed tears. God goes with you Every moment you shall ever live on this earth. And what should that give you? It should give you joy. If Pastor Shower was up here, he'd make you say it. That should give you Oh, you can do better now. That should give you joy. In our Savior's name, amen. Would you rise as we pray? Heavenly Father, joy is knowing the end of the story. English lit major, that's what I was in college half the time when I was halfway through with the novel. I would go to the last pages to see how the story ended, how the novel ended. I wanted to know if it ended good or whether it ended bad. We know the end of the story. We know when he climbed that cross, he rose again on the third day. And we know He's promised us 7,000 times in the Bible, I will be with you. If there was only one promise instead of 7,000, we would grab hold of that one promise. Do we have a problem with shame and guilt? He said, I forgive you. Do we have a problem with fear and worry? He says 365 times, Do not be afraid. Are we unspeakably sad because someone we love is not on this earth anymore? He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Heavenly Father, because of who you are, what you are, what you've done, may we have joy deep, deep in our hearts that no circumstance can ever touch. Because nothing separates us from you. Not life, not death, not angels, not demons, not things present, not things to come, not height nor depth. Nothing separates us from you. Joy, Heavenly Father, in our hearts, in our Savior's name. Amen